Hello, welcome again to Sport Unlock, bringing you all the week's sports news analysed. And as ever, if you hit subscribe, we land in your feed automatically. Joining me, Rob Harris from Sky News as ever, Martin Ziegler from The Times and Tarek Panja from The New York Times. Well, we were all in Monaco last week and really the big sort of talking point, although not addressed by many, it seems, was, of course, the fallout from Luis Rubiales and that non-consensual kiss on Jenny Hermoso. And it really still is dominating globally beyond sport as well, isn't it? After we recorded, we had the the England head coach, Serena Wiegmann, speaking about it um, quite sort of memorably. And actually, well, this week we've had um, the, the Spain national team manager of the, of the women's team, Jorge Vilda, has been sacked. Um, the RFEF, the Spanish FA, have sort of distanced themselves from Rubiales. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's still keeping going, isn't it? I mean, I think, and we've also had Hermoso launching um, a criminal complaint about uh, what happened in, after the World Cup final in Sydney. So, yeah, it's uh, it's still going on and it's still causing sort of significant waves, I think, in, in football. And the Vilda firing was notable, perhaps for the statement, which said that they decided for a change in direction with this new board, but at the same time, praising his leadership, praising the values and all his success, of course, winning the World Cup, the youth titles as well. So no criticism of him. And then Vilda goes on Spanish radio to call it unfair and of course, even a year before the World Cup, all the concerns of 15 Spanish players about his leadership. Yeah, it was almost as though he'd written that farewell statement himself because all those issues you, you mentioned weren't touched at all. None of the preceding years of scandal, the, 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 as you said, the 15 players quitting and other bits and pieces. And then, and then you know, this is a guy that they're trying to, turn over a new leaf and, and and sort of move on without him. And to be honest, he couldn't have carried on anyway. One, the players have refused to play and all of his coaches had quit by the time that announcement was made, wasn't it? So it's kind of an extremely untenable position for, for this guy to be in. I mean, it's the fact that they won the World Cup is remarkable in, in that context, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly shows the uh, the uh, it was the the players which, which did it. You, you would say, um, but the, one of my colleagues, Matthew Sides, written a sort of fairly counterintuitive column saying that he thought it was shameful that Vilda was sacked for basically he said for applauding Ruby Rubiales at a Spanish FA meeting. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I think we should probably make clear. Things have gone on with him and the players for much, much longer than that, haven't they? So there were loads of issues last year, weren't there, um, which led to him. He basically excluded 12 players from his World Cup squad. And Tariq, that column also suggesting he was writing not from position of knowledge. Yeah, that was the odd thing. Um, he, he, I think I don't want to misquote him here, but he sort of said... He doesn't know the ins and outs of it all. And look, if you don't know the ins and outs of it, well, how could you be so emphatic in writing this? The whole thing is, the ins and outs of it are, that there's a whole history and catalogue of, 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 of problems well beyond this moment of winning the World Cup. Um, the fact that, I've said, the coaches aren't playing. Vilda 
is Rubiales' man. The fact he was there applauding Rubiales in the room when he refused to quit less than a week ago. All, all of these things. I mean, it's strange to, to kind of write such an emphatic piece and then also include the fact that you're not really sure about the ins and outs of it. Um, but I think that line was then subsequently deleted from, from the copy, which was also kind of odd. Yeah, obviously questions for the media as much as uh, often we'll be calling out the officials in football. And that is something that was notable, wasn't it? The fact in Monaco, we had that powerful moment when Serena Wiegmann, as England manager after collecting award, did dedicate it to the Spanish team and talked about the various challenges being faced in Spain. And also we had uh, Antana Bonmatti as well when she collected the Women's Play of the Year award using her platform too. But then none of the men who got up on stage use their presence. Now, of course, not having to call out um, Rubiales directly, but I think perhaps missing a moment of solidarity and to be seen saying so on camera. Yeah, just just from a kind of in-the-moment perspective, if you want, if if Aitana Bonmati has said what she had and as if Serena Wiegmann has, has said that, there were there were male winners, you know, not to single out Erling Haaland, but he's the nearest comparison because he, he won the uh, the men's award and she won the women's award. They're standing next to each other on stage. She's made that point. Maybe it's worth, um, I don't know, backing it or, or, or offering some some support because that story was dominating not just the sports news but almost all news all over the world for 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 a week or so before the awards ceremony. It's funny, um, why, why, it's very rare that the, the men speak out on, on, on many things, really. The, the women's football, they often have to have the, the role of activists, not not least just to play football, but but, but other, other issues as well. It's kind, kind of noticeable, the, the difference, more broadly, isn't it? Yeah, and I think we were left almost in no certain terms around UA for that. This is not something that should be overshadowing the awards, the draw, the ceremony, and something they didn't believe needed to be a talking point is very much something that was a Spanish issue, not a European-wide issue, or something that actually warranted a sort of global moment of solidarity. I, mean, I think if you've reported on men's football um, for the, as long as I have, then it, it's a sort of the, the safe position which public relations officers will favour and no doubt push players, managers, is, is to try and avoid controversy, you know, take the safe option, won't they? And I'm sure that's the case here. But Robert, it's not just the players as well. I just think it's a moment for leadership, isn't it? More broadly, like, this stuff has happened. It, it, it's such a kind of moment, pivotal moment, and people kind of have to be, be seen to be counted, particularly the big football leaders. And I don't think we've seen enough of that or much of that, unless they're kind of pushed to say something. And we had Jean Infantino on Instagram, and he didn't actually name, you know, Rubiales in that. I don't think he named Yeni Hermoso as well in the statements. At least it was saying something, but it took over a week and a half after the incident took place in Sydney at the World Cup final, a moment that Hermoso says was, you know, was non-consensual. It was, a you know, an, an act against her. I think it's going to be one which people look back on how to handle these sorts of situations in the future. They will... They will any sort of public relations analyst would, would say a lot of people got a lot of things wrong. And at the time of recording, Luis Rubiales is yet to officially stand down as Spanish Federation president, suspended currently by FIFA while their investigation is conducted. And Hermoso herself has now filed 
the criminal complaint. Well, reflecting now some of the, the media coverage and you know, one of the parts of the media coverage, of course, on Spain is highlighted about how male-dominated football media is still. There's been a bit of media focus on one particular interview in the last week. Jordan Henderson breaking silence over his move to Saudi Arabia, to, to Al-Itifak, and choosing to give the interview to The Athletic. You know, certainly asked all the questions that were being asked. Uh, what do we think of some of the answers? Much to unpick, not only on Saudi, but also his references to Qatar. But I suppose trying to say it wasn't about the money. At least he did something. You know, he could have, he could not have done anything and you know, tried to let the dust settle. So at least give John Henderson credit for answering all the questions and doing a, doing a long interview. I did think some of the things didn't quite ring true to me. Like he said that you know he had heard all these things about migrant workers in Qatar, and, and the, but actually when he got out himself and and was shown um, how they uh, you know their living conditions, it was he felt like it was a different story. But I think he probably he may not have realised that actually these were sort of specially selected migrant workers um, who are basically paraded by FIFA and the organising committee um, for you know for people to 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 see. And I think that was that did come across as slightly naive. It was listed as an official activity on the plans, wasn't it, at the World Cup? It, originally, it was portrayed in the build up to the World Cup that they would go out and meet migrant workers while there. We, you know, we weren't given the impression it was going to be an official event, effectively authorised migrant workers. Yeah, so what? Training, lunch, meet migrant worker, nap. Yeah, exactly. The The questions were really good from, from Adam Crafton and, and, and David Ornstein. They, they kind of asked all, all the right questions, and you should expect that. But the the answers were, were just... The charitable part is maybe he's naive, and then the rest of it, it was just so excruciating to go through that transcript in, in, in what he was saying. Um, the, the, there was a particular line about, not that it just wasn't about the money, that it was about the project. And you're like, what? what, what why, why would this project to grow football in Saudi Arabia attract you now? There are all sorts of other football projects that are perhaps... Um, worthy of, of 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 being involved in if that's what's floating your boat and the whole point is this whole thing has been about money you are ask all of these players they're getting contracts they've never had in their lives um and they're, they're they're heading over there the idea that anyone would believe that as well i mean i don't maybe if you say it enough times maybe he believes it i just think it was it was um just felt like nonsense and then it reminded me of the golfers rob you know we were at we were at that um first live golf event in London in near St Albans a couple of years ago and I think it was Graham McDowell um was talking about how he's not a politician how they're just a football player and it's about growing the game of golf in Saudi Arabia it just, just seemed very similar the idea that he wasn't prepared is also very hard to to, to believe yeah, perhaps the difference was a year later when I went back to Liv, they started to talk more about the money is part of the reason for joining up with Liv at the time. But people in the media do also move for money as well. So it's not completely uh, alien concept in many jobs. Obviously, with Saudi, we're talking about, you know, huge amounts of money. Uh, although, essentially, he denied the £700,000 a week number, I think it is. Of course, easy to deny because, of course, 
even if it was 699,000 a week, uh, you know, you know, I don't think they explored the exact range of the, the you know, the numbers on offer there. But um, yeah, I suppose he didn't really have answers that might have alleviated the concerns of some that he was completely disregarding values he championed uh, previously. There are players who have. Tony Cruz has come out. He had an offer from Saudi Arabia. And he said he had to turn it down for that very reason. They don't chime with with his values. And, you know, you have to wonder where, where, where the line is. Jordan Henderson's a particular case because he didn't just, he's not just another football player. He was such a, he made such a big point of being an ally to the LGBTQ community in, in, in the kind of latter part of his career, the run-ups, Qatar and, and all the rest of it. That's why... He's such a name, and that's why he's he's had the criticism he has. You know, it might have just been better for him to just shut up and go and play football over there and earn loads of money, you know, because what's the point? I was actually wondering if there was a parallel path where he'd sort of got the OK from them in Saudi to wear rainbow laces for his first training session or his first game. So it would have seemed like he'd acknowledged something. Then it could have been an alternative discussion, which is, Actually, it's a, just a meaningless symbolic gesture. Is not spoken out. Is it enough just to wear rainbow laces? But perhaps at least acknowledging it, and also for the Saudis to realise it might take the heat off if he was just seen to do something that ultimately they didn't even need to show the images of domestically. Um, it might have helped his situation. Well, I think we saw from what happened in Qatar that they're so, so adamant about wearing the rainbow armbands that that was never going to be allowed. So even if that. Had, Attempted to explore that. It was that. That would. Can you can you imagine that happening? I mean, well, we know it can't happen because don't you remember his his um, announcement on on social media where it all turned into grayscale. So any kind of sign of anything resembling a rainbow was was essentially <laughs> you know right. blacked out. But we are in very sort of delicate territory as well. That this is different from asking countries to change worker rights to even improve women's rights things like removing male guardianship you know this is actually telling them to not follow perhaps parts of the religion i don't know it's it's to me it's it's much broader than that anyway it's you know it's about people being thrown into prison for um writing pro-democracy things on twitter or uh, it's not just about the homosexuality of gay rights i think it's everything which which for me, leaves a bad taste in the mouth with anybody going to Saudi Arabia. There, there was something else sort of drawn out from his answers where he talks about respecting culture and then some people sort of taking odds with the referencing being LGBTQ as part of culture rather than part of who they are. That's a re- I think that's ultimately the point here, isn't it? Whether it's that or points Zeke's just raised there. There has to be some kind of basic respect for universal human values right otherwise we say what about this what about that what about this one you know um you know what about you know they don't like left-footed players or right-footed players oh you know that's their culture it's it's not about that there has to be like some basic things that that people agree on slinging someone in jail or chucking someone off a roof for 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 who they are or whatever that it's just surely there's a line um and 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 this guy this dude in particular has has talked about these issues and and made a point i mean jordan henderson in a way um you can you know maybe thomas hitzelsberger made a point and whether it's true or not former football player he he um he came out as 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 gay after he retired german international 
Um, and he said, you know, his fear was that Jordan Henderson, his adoption of this cause was a part of what he felt was maybe a, a brand building exercise for Jordan Henderson. That would be really sad if, if, if that's the case. And when we do talk about this, actually place it purely back in the football context. It's FIFA's own statutes who talk about no discrimination based on, amongst other things, sexual orientation. They say it's you know, ex- strictly prohibited. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's had he's had support though, hasn't he? There is there are, like for all the criticism, there, there's been like support from from his perspective. I saw a, you know, Brendan Rodgers, the Celtic manager. He was on radio in Britain on Talk Sport saying um, that the, the players have to do what's right for them. And then pr- pretty much having a go at people like us, I suppose, uh, you know, for raising this, uh, saying there's so many morality officers nowadays that are judging people. So in Brendan Rogers' view, people just go and do what you want. No questions asked, like because these people aren't role models or anything else. They're, they're people who um, are are free to do whatever they like and they are certainly they're free to do whatever they like certainly in, in, in countries where we're where we're recording this from maybe not in Saudi Arabia but but you know and it's up to them what choices they make you don't want to rule out potential uh, coaching options perhaps for Brendan Rodgers yeah as I got the sense speaking to Damien Camoli in uh, Monaco after the Europa League draw you know it's actually quite a good extensive interview uh, that we did about transfers and the Saudi situation broadly he said actually anyone who's saying that Saudi Arabia doesn't pose a threat to the likes of the Premier League is, you know, lying to themselves and they're not quite realising it. You know, very sort of talking up Saudi, while also at the same time saying he thinks still the chosen pathway still for a young French player, for instance, would be going to the Premier League or La Liga and then later on to Saudi still. So still wanting to experience those large European leagues first. I think that, yeah, I mean... I would agree with with that with with Kamoli, but I still don't think it's a big threat. I think it's a destabilizing um, thing for football, for European football, just because you can, you know, a, a club can suddenly find themselves uh, in the in a lucky situation and having a huge amount of money in their in their bank account, which they weren't perhaps um, budgeting for, and that is a sort of it gives them a competitive advantage over another. Um, I don't. I don't see it as a threat per se, but do definitely destabilising. Damien Kamoli, of course, formerly of Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool, now president at Toulouse, and you talk about destabilising. Some would say the the wealth of the Premier League, to some, might be seen as destabilising if they suddenly perhaps give a lot of money to a particular club in Europe from a player they're buying or their ability to attract talent too. So, not purely a Saudi thing. Yeah, we've said this before, you know, the, when we talk about the big five leagues, we say there's only one really big league and that's the Premier League, you know, where teams like Bournemouth are able to outspend, you know, everyone else in Europe beyond Real Madrid and, and, and things like this. But the thing with um, the, the Saudi the Saudi question is I think Camoli also, when, you know, he was doing the rounds that day, he made a good point as well. He said it's really the biggest teams that are the most affected by this for the rest of Europe because they're not after... Play, a lot of players from, you know, like mid mid ranking teams, they're not that badly affected. But one thing that caught my eye that bid for Mohamed Salah uh, from from Itihad, which is one of those teams that is controlled by the Public Investment Fund, which also owns Newcastle in the Premier League, the the bid was made um, after the the last day of the transfer window, and now it's still going on. If Mohamed Salah is heads heads turned, etc. 
Newcastle, one of the teams that are owned by PIF, inadvertently benefit from this. And then you get to this question of, you know, um, multi-club ownership and, and the power of PIF on, on the Premier League. It just becomes very messy, very knotty and complicated as well in different ways. Well, moving on to the wider European football landscape and a new agreement with UEFA and the European Club Association, all about how the money is distributed from the Champions League revenue and actually who gets the fruits of the funding. Is it the established clubs, is it those most successful in the likes of the Champions League or is it those who actually don't qualify for European competitions to try to ensure some sort of a competitive balance or in that direction at least? So what was the exact agreement that was announced this week by the ECA? So it's sort of different strands really, but I suppose for the for the, the solidarity payments they're called to the smaller clubs, the ones who don't get to the Champions League, they're going to that's going to go up from twenty twenty four. It's uh, going to be basically ten percent of of the um, the pot will, will go to those, which is a I guess a significant increase, um, but. I think perhaps the most interesting thing for me is they're, they're going to change the the way that the the funding for the biggest clubs is going to be arranged. So the coefficient funding, which has been thirty percent of the uh, of the total money for the Champions League, has been since twenty seventeen allocated um, on a club's ten year performance in Europe over the last ten years and the number of European trophies it has. Now, the change to this is that it's going to go down to five years, not ten. Um, and also there will be less money. We don't know exactly how much, but it, it, it's uh, something like about 10% less. So what it will mean probably is that Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, who have sort of benefited from their sort of status in Europe, a number of trophies and their 10-year performances are, are going to take a... Going to get less. Manchester City have done well recently. Bayern Munich, they will get more. So maybe, I don't know, do you think this is a Super League Rebels getting hit in the pocket, Tarek? Surely, surely, surely not, Ziggs. No one will be that, that vindictive. But they, they, their memories are like elephants, I suppose, about uh, UEFA, about what had happened. And, and there was, these were the three holdouts. It's kind of curious that this has happened. I'm not sure there'll be too many tears shed about 10-year coefficients, though, not not being part of this equation. It, it, it seems that this general agreement more broadly seems a lot more equitable than the one that was hurried through the last time. And if you remember that, the circumstances around that, UEFA essentially had no leadership. Uh, it was after the uh, FIFA scandal and it was all hurried through. This one has taken a lot longer. Um, there is a lot more money for... for for teams that aren't in Europe and the smaller teams, this feels a bit more of an equitable agreement. I think most people are, are happy with the outcome. So what it actually means, for instance, all teams who qualify for the Champions League will get 27.5% of the prize money rather than 25% as it is currently, for instance. And then the performance bonuses uh, as they progress through rises to 37.5% and it's currently at 30%. That's as you sort of get through from um, the group stage. 
of course, we get the new bigger Champions League next season, going from 32 to 36 teams with a lot of games. Also at the ECA, some election news as well. Who's going to be sitting on the ECA board helping to run the show now? Uh, Mr. Ferran Soriano from Manchester City, I think, is, is going to be on there. Um, he's been on there before, but I think he was forced to sort of step down after the Super League thing, but now he's back. He he is back, and it seems like, um, you know, everyone's friends again, certainly at European level. Don't forget, it was UEFA uh, that attempted, or certainly the, the people who are running the disciplinary organs for FFP were trying to ban Manchester City for two years for financial fair play breaches. Manchester City won back in the fold. Uh, one of the first clubs to turn their backs on the Super League. Um closer to UEFA perhaps than they've ever been before and, and now in, in, in the decision-making body of the ECA. It's funny how fortunes um, turn. Speaking of financial fair play, didn't you have a story this this week on the Premier League and how it will handle FFP cases? Yeah, um, an interesting thing which was slipped into the Premier League handbook. It wasn't announced at the time the decision was taken in June, but um, it's there in black and white in the handbook suddenly that... Uh, for financial fair play breaches, there's going to be a 12-week deadline for the cases to be um, brought against a club this season, dealt with, and any appeal heard. So um, clubs will now have to submit accounts by December the 31st, a decision taken within two weeks on whether they've breached the rules, and then dealt with before the start of the season. So, for example, Everton last season, um, they were charged. There were lots of clubs unhappy they, they, that sort of has rolled over to this October so that any sanction that they get wouldn't have apply, won't, won't apply to last season. So, for example, Leeds United probably felt, and, and others who were relegated felt, that if they had a points deduction, it should have affected last season and then perhaps they could have stayed up. Yeah, but that big legacy case as well, not just Everton. We've, Manchester City's case opened in 2018. There was a ruling a year ago and now there's the disciplinary panel i think it's five years almost now since manchester city's uh ffp case just to remind people that's 115 charges that they, they deny martin is that something different then yeah so that is getting viewed according to the handbook that would be it doesn't specify manchester city but it does say that exceptional circumstances would be multiple breaches over multiple years so for example that if chelsea uh, if it gets charged because there's an investigation in that we've talked about previously into payments to offshore companies, that's over a six-year period going back to 2012. That, again, wouldn't be subject to the 12-week deadline because it's multiple years and potentially multiple offences if, if that gets brought. And, of course, these rules aren't just unilaterally imposed by the Premier League. It's the clubs who ultimately agree to these themselves, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're yeah. the owners of the league, aren't they, Martin? So that, that it's a, it's a club-run um, organisation. Just, just to move on to something just before we finish, it's been another bad week for Manchester United, hasn't it, and the, the people who run the club. Um, guys, a couple of issues. One involving Anthony, the Brazilian winger, uh, dropped from, from Brazil after his, his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend um, complained to... Brazilian authorities and, and police in Manchester, I think, are aware of this, about being allegedly assaulted by him in a hotel room in, in Manchester. And then there's a story this week in the Daily Mail 
and I'll just read the headline, um, which was quite stunning. Manchester United made convicted paedophile Jeff, Konot Jeff Konotka guest of honour at Old Trafford and celebrated his career despite him being banned from the game. Club, in quotes, were unaware ex-women's coach got four years for offences against girls. Guys, what is going on there? Yeah, it's. I mean, after all the, the Mason Greenwood stuff, you know, got Anthony sub, subject to similar allegations, which which he denies. But um, it, even so, it puts the club in a very difficult position. Um, and as far as we know, when we've at time of recording, they've not dropped him from the squad as yet. Um, so <laughs> you must, if you were like the chief executive of Richard Arnold, you must think. As uh, Mario Balotelli once famously said, why always me? And of course, this in a week when more news on the Manchester United on-off takeover. What's happening with that? A report not publicly denied that they're no longer looking to sell the club. Something I've not stood up, but it was by Nick Harris in the Mail on Sunday. It led to a huge drop in the share price initially. And I suppose it's very separate from the you know, deepening concerns about conduct the sale process but perhaps it is pointing to that questions over the leadership the direction of the club the stability of the actual way things are being run yeah it's, it's a question about culture and, and, and Manchester United drifting as well and um, straightforward decisions being hard to, to make whether it's to do with um, these very awful off the field matters that, that we discussed or whether the sale process it all just seems very kind of uh, messy. Rob, that, that share price drop was enormous, wasn't it? it was half a billion dollars was wiped off. I mean, a lot of that was speculative money piling in, in the in the hope that Manchester United would be sold for, for a, a king or a sheikh's ransom. Um, and then that hasn't turned out to be the case. That doesn't mean if someone comes in for a with a massive offer, just because this idea of Manchester United is, quote, off the market, None of these clubs are ever off the market, are they? If someone comes with a big check um, and there's a an owner willing to sell, then the club's going to be sold, isn't it? That's true. And also, just to put make out, the share price is still considerably higher when, than last December when they first, or November, December when they first announced that they would consider selling the club. So um, it's not that much of a of a of a drop. Um, Big, yeah, but uh, I'm sure the Glazers won't be uh, too unhappy. Well, it seems we've been talking about that for a long time on the pod. Well, that about brings an end to this week's episode of Sport Unlocked. As ever, your feedback, welcome at Sport Unlocked and all the social media platforms, sportunlockpod at gmail.com. And if you hit subscribe, then we land in that feed automatically. And always gratefully, if you can hit rate. It's all anonymous or review us if you want to be a bit more public on the so on the platform of your pod of choice to give us a bit of uh, feedback. But for now, thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>